0: storm clouds gather, and the waves, they get so high, when Satan tries to tell me there's no need to even try, that's when I just call on Jesus, he puts a sweet peace down in my soul. the master is doing. i yeah. yeah. One day.
1: your face and just a calm to your troubled spirit. Thank you so much. Francis Chan wrote a book called Crazy Love. How many of you have read that book? It's a great read. If you haven't read it, you should. Today, we're not going to talk about crazy love. Rather, we're going to talk about crazy faith. Before you look at my wife, Faith, and think I'm calling her crazy, (laughs) let me be quick to say that the crazy faith refers to the faith of a prophet in the old testament he had a crazy faith that caused him to trust god when god wanted three armies to do something ridiculous like dig a bunch of ditches in a dry desert valley and and by the way if you're old school like me baby maybe you need a little bit of linguistic education because english have you found out english is so confusing You know, we have some words that have two exact opposite meanings, which, by the way, is called a contronym, and contra means against, so you've got two meanings that are against each other, but, for example, the word crazy is a contronym. Back two to three decades ago, the word crazy meant crazy. If you were crazy, you were crazy. Probably needed to be institutionalized, but now the word crazy has another meaning, and it means good, so being crazy can be both bad and good. Are you still with me? (laughs) While I'm at it, let me go ahead and educate those of us who are more mature or old uh, to a couple of other words that also have new meanings. The word bad used to mean bad. Uh, I mean, you know, that boy is really bad. I mean, he was a bad kid. He was always in trouble. but, But now the word bad can mean good. We say he is bad. That means good. So I've made it my goal to always be bad. The word sick is the same way. Sick used to mean, ooh, he just threw up. He's sick. But now we say that was sick. That means good. Insane. Used to be to call someone insane was horrible, but now insane is one of the many words that means good. Did any of that make sense? I didn't think so. Maybe I ought to just stick to God's word. Um, But anyway, today I want to talk about the insane, the bad, the sick, the crazy faith of a man in the Old Testament that with God's help performed 32 documented miracles. Now, I realize that most of us don't remember anything about a sermon two minutes after it was preached. So, I don't expect you to remember our lesson two weeks ago, but it was on the prophet Elisha. We talked about a famine in the land where a donkey's head and a and dove's dung, that's what they were eating, brought a premium price. But, but God brought about a miracle overnight to where there was plenty of food. Well, well that lesson two weeks ago, prompted me to go back and re-study Elisha's life because I think he's one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible because he is so non-traditional in the miracles that he performs. You know, other people in the Bible, that they just perform boring miracles, you know, like causing a cripple to walk or bringing sight to the blind, you know, run-of-the-mill miracles. You know that I'm joking, don't you? But every miracle is amazing. But, But Elisha had some insane sick miracles like he caused an axe head to float wouldn't that turn some heads um he he found a lady who couldn't pay her bills and and she was probably going to lose her house and so Elisha had her borrow a bunch of jars from people and oil mysteriously appeared in all those jars, jars she sold the oil and paid her bills that was insane he also had a high official dip in the dirty Jordan River seven times so his leprosy would go away. So Elisha's faith was insane. It was crazy. What's that old country song? Bad to the bone? Anyway, I don't know. But, but, but I guess the big thing that endears Elisha to me is that he was just an ordinary, a plain, common, could I just say old Joe? He wasn't born in the royal family. He, he didn't belong to a family of priests. He was not someone that had been identified as a mover and, and a shaker and a great leader. He was just a regular guy who, who, catch this, was living at home with his parents, working on a farm. That was Elisha. So here's the background for our lesson. There were three kings. The king of Israel, the king of Judah, the king of Edom. One day, they decided to join forces and do battle against the Moabites, who had become a pain in their side. And they thought that with the odds of of three against one, that this battle would be nothing more than an easy training exercise. They would be able to get back home and not even work up a sweat. But have you ever found out that in life, things rarely go as planned? What do they call that? Murphy's Law? If anything can go wrong, it will. You know, I, I've especially found that to be true with do it yourself projects at home, especially plumbing projects. I believe plumbing projects are brought on by the devil. You know, when, when I get involved in, in, a, in a simple plumbing project, such as cleaning out a drain or replacing a leaky fixture, I generally end up going to, to Meeks or Ailers half a dozen times because I never get the right part the first time, nor the second, and then I invariably break something as I'm repairing the first problem. And so I get cranky, and I can't even kick the cat, because we don't believe in having cats. And so I I get grouchy with my family. That makes them grouchy, and it all goes downhill from there. So in this situation, these, these three kings thought everything would go smoothly in battle, just kind of a little exercise to train. But instead of winning a quick and easy battle, things fell apart even before the battle began. And what happened is that these three kings underestimated the journey to the place where they would fight the battle. They had to go through the desert to, to, to get to the battlefront. And it didn't just take them one day or two days or, or even three days. But they marched, listen, through the desert, seven long days. Long enough to where they ran out of water. And these armies, as well as their animals, were, were probably just a few hours away from dying of thirst. But that major problem opened the door for one of the 32 miracles that God would perform through Elisha. Now, before we read about that miracle, let me give you one statement that will not only summarize this lesson, but it will help encourage you as you encounter different problems throughout life. Here's the statement. Your greatest need can become your greatest blessing if it drives you to depend on God. Let me say it again. Your greatest need can become your greatest blessing if it drives you to depend on God. Uh, Dick, one of my um, good friends in this church, can testify to this several years ago, and you've heard his testimony, but his business crashed, and he had a woodworking business where he crafted shaker boxes and, and other quality furniture for a community in New York, and and the first Shaker community I was I was studying it this past week was established in 1774, and they became known for excellent craftsmanship of furniture and other things. Um, but but 20 years ago, and, and 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 by the way, this right here is a Shaker box, and and uh, Dick made this, and um, I don't know there are six seven different boxes inside of this. And um, what what they do the way that there's no glue in this, what they do they cut thin strips. Of wood, and then they steam it so that they can shape it and and bend it, and uh, because there's no glue, they've got these uh, copper tacks that, uh, you know, it's all put together uh, with, with with copper tacks. And uh, but but 20 years ago, New York and and our country went through a, a recession, and and so there was little demand for for this kind of stuff. And what he would do he'd make these crafts and then make a, a road trip to New York and and and, and sell them. Uh, but when when his business crashed, it left him vulnerable and, and so financially depleted that this man who had tried everything from Buddhism to New Age beliefs, this man to help bring him peace, had walked the entirety of the Appalachian Trail over 2,200 miles. He had done that twice and partially a third, I think, and fourth time. But anyway, as a result of this financial crash, while traveling out of state on a Palm Sunday, he pulled his car over to the side of the road, got out on his knees beside the road, came to God. His greatest need became his greatest blessing because it brought him to Jesus. Let's let's read the word. And, and remember... Uh, this is God's Word. Furthermore, it's God's inspired Word. Furthermore, it's God's inspired and inerrant Word. Furthermore, it's God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 9 reads like this, So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, they're the three kings, After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. So Elisha at one time used to be Elijah's understudy or assistant. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the, the word of the Lord is with him. So, so the king of Israel and, and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, as we talk about these three kings, it's very important to know that they currently were not in a close relationship with God, Jehovah. 2 uh, Chronicles does talk about Jehoshaphat. At one time, he was committed to God. He was trying to follow God, Jehovah. But, but he began to stray away and, and began making ungodly alliances. And so at this time, he's not the godly man that he had been. But here's what's so interesting to me is, when these three kings and, and their armies and their animals ran out of water, they began to realize, we're in trouble. What should we do? They said, oh, We need to come to God for help. You've done that, haven't you? I have. And we get this so much at the church. People don't have time for God. But something happens. A health crisis comes up. A financial crisis comes up. A marriage blows up. What do they do? They call the church. They want help. Because even though they may not be in a close relationship with God, they still connect the church to God. And I'm glad they do. But but these three kings are in major trouble, and they begin to ask around, is there anybody in the area who might have some pull with God? Jehovah, maybe make it rain so we can have some water so we don't die, so our animals don't die? Well, an officer said, now that you mention this, um, I, I do remember The name of a man who at one time used to be the assistant of the great prophet Elijah. And, you know, his name is Elisha. And from what I've heard, this man has done some pretty amazing miracles. And and even though this was pretty much the rookie year of Elisha, he'd already done some veteran miracles. You know, I mentioned two or three to begin with, but, but a couple of others. Some people had come to Elisha and said, you know that our town has a lot going for it. It's well situated, but the water is really nasty. I know we don't know of a community around here that would have nasty water, uh, but other communities do have that. But seriously, their water didn't just taste and smell bad like ours. The Bible said it actually caused the land to be unproductive, and and there were deaths that had been traced back to the water. So the water was toxic. So Elisha said, "Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it." And and Elisha took that salt from the bowl and threw it in the spring that the water came from. And the Bible says that the water was made good. In fact super interesting the word used for taking care of that bad water was the word healed the water was healed maybe we need to pray for healing for our water here in Eldreda Springs Um, do I need do I hear an amen there but and then there's actually one more miracle that was documented before the one that we're studying and and, and you can find this in the last couple of verses of 2nd Kings chapter 2 but some young men made a poor decision to make fun of Elisha, evidently because he was bald. Better listen up. Let me just read this miracle from the Message Bible paraphrase. I love the way it says it. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. Another time, Elisha was on his way to Bethel, and some little kids came out from the town and taunted him. What's up, old bald head? Out of our way, skinhead. Elisha turned. He didn't take too kindly to it took one look at them and cursed them in the name of God, two bears charged out of the underbrush, knocked them about, ripping them limb from limb, 42 children in all. Which more than likely, these children were not just little kids. Uh, You know, scholars believe that they were probably young people who knew better, perhaps, in their teens. But there are two lessons here. Number one, never make fun of a guy with bald head. And all of the baldies, or I guess the the proper way to say this is those of us who are hair-challenged said, Amen. Never make fun of someone who is hair-challenged. Number two, sometimes a bear is just a prayer away. Two lessons, so beware. But anyway, when you are able to perform miracles like this, word gets around, and these three kings, they're in trouble. They send someone to look for Elisha, and they say, can you pull some strings? And, and since they were not real committed followers of God, I can imagine they, they probably said something that we hear a lot today from people who are as a whole just kind of casual about their faith. But maybe they said, could you please talk to the man upstairs? And you know, that's my pet peeve. And get him to make it rain so we can get some water before we all die? Well, how did Elisha respond? It, it, it cracks me up because it almost, it's almost like Elisha shows a little bit of an attitude. And these are, these are my words, but, but, but he's like, guys, you haven't had the time of day for God. You haven't made any effort to serve him. Now you're in trouble. All of a sudden, you want me to use my position as a prophet to put in a kind word to God for you? And listen to what Elisha said. It's kind of smart-alecky. 2 Kings 3.13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. In other words, we're not buddies. What do we have to do with each other? You haven't been giving God the time of day, so you just need to take your toys and go back home and get help from some other god. I know that smell. That, that sounds really smart-alecky, um, but, but other prophets in the Bible at times were feisty as well. And maybe it runs in the DNA of all pastors. Maybe we're all smart-alecks at times. But, but when you study Elisha's mentor, Elijah, you see that Elijah was the king of attitude for example, when Elijah went to 450 false prophets who worshiped the God of Baal, said, boys, let's have a contest. Let's see how big your God is. We'll get two bulls. You kill one. I'll kill one. We'll make a couple of altars. You call on your God to send fire from heaven. If your God doesn't, my God does. You worship my God. If your God does, my God doesn't. We'll worship your gods. Let's rumble, boys. Bring it on. And these false prophets, they called on, you remember the story, called on their God, send fire, send fire. Nothing happened. And and Elijah started trash-talking. He said, well, maybe you should shout louder, and maybe your God's deaf. Maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he's deep in thought. And you can read this in 1 Kings 18. But, but Elisha shows some feistiness as well and says, why do you three kings come to me? You haven't had time for God until now. You're in trouble, and you come? But then Elisha softens a little bit, and, and after saying, go back to your prophets, go home, He says, I'll tell you what, I do have a little bit of respect for one out of the three of you kings. I I, I do respect Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, just a little bit. He's not serving God like he should. He's aligned himself with you two rascals. But he did fear God at one time, so I'm going to honor him. But for the other two of you, I don't have the time of day for you. So in verse 15, he makes a request. He says, bring me a harpist if you want me to prophesy, go get the biggest and the most clumsy instrument to move around. Have you ever tried to move around and carry around a big old harp? And he said, get somebody to play me some music. And this was not uncommon for prophets back then. There's something, listen, there's something about God speaking to us while we're listening to godly music. I mean, that's why we begin our service with, with music. Music many times sets the tone for the preaching of the Word. Music is not a substitute for the Word, but it complements the Word. And for those that stand out in the foyer and and laugh and talk and visit during the music, could could I encourage you to come in? Come in and get in on all of the service. Music has a way of opening our hearts and preparing our hearts to hear from God. But anyway, Elisha says, give me a harp, give me a harpist. And while the harpist is playing music, Elisha begins to seek God, and it doesn't take long. And Elisha receives a message from the Lord, and here it is, 2 Kings 3.15. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says, make this valley full of ditches. Now, admittedly, this is a strange request from the Lord. And can you imagine the response of the troops. I mean, the troops are tired. They've been marching in the desert for seven days. They're out of water. They're dehydrated. Now, Elisha asks them to go out into the hot sun and do one of the most difficult manual labor tasks possible, which is to dig ditches and dirt that's rock hard, that is rock hard, because of lack of rain. The other day, we, we lost a little birdie at our house, and just a little story here. I had been mowing, and I saw a little birdie that had been blown out, probably of the nest during that windstorm we had. And uh, it was injured and couldn't fly, and so I called my grandson, Jace, out there. And Jace just really have, has a soft uh, spot in his heart for, for animals. And uh, he gently picked up the bird and nursed the bird and loved the bird. And um, do you want to know what he named the bird? Larry, as in Larry Bird. I thought that, yeah, that's pretty creative, Larry Bird. But anyway, as much as as Jace tried, he couldn't keep the bird alive. And and after about 24 hours, Jace watched, he was watching, holding the bird that took its last breath. And there were plenty of tears as he said goodbye. But all of that to say that Jace, Put them in a little cardboard box, and we went out to the animal cemetery that we have in our backyard and I don't even know how many animal funerals we've had back there, and I hope nobody ever comes and digs up our backyard because the animal bones probably would pass for a crime scene, but But we started digging and digging in that ground and and you know we've had quite a bit of rain this 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 spring, and but as much rain as we've had, you know the the week or so where we haven't had rain. That ground was rock hard, <laughs> and we were barely able to dig a hole deep enough for that little tiny box. But here Elisha said, go dig in the hard dirt of this dry valley, make it full of ditches. Now, if you haven't read the account, you're probably thinking, okay, God wanted some ditches to catch the water because he's about to send, ai a, mean, a big rain and the old-timers used to say, you know, a, a toad strangling, a duck drowning, turtle floating, gully washer. And, you know, if you're from the city, that just means a, a big rain. Uh, but, but instead of God sending rain, look at the strategy that God decided to use. And by the way, God doesn't always use the same strategy. That bothers us because we're creatures of habit. We believe if God uses one method, then he we have to duplicate that. We have to keep doing that forever until Jesus comes. But God doesn't always use the, the same strategy. You know, with Elijah, Elisha's predecessor, they needed water. God sent a rainstorm. With Elisha, God chooses to use another method to provide water. Let's read about it in verse 17. For this is what the Lord says, you will see neither wind nor rain. So it's not going to rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing. Easy peasy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. So there'd be no storm, no wind, no rain. But God was about to provide water on the condition that they first dug ditches throughout the valley. Now, what I want to do for the rest of our time together is to try to apply this directly to our lives. And, and I want to show you two principles of crazy faith, insane faith, sick faith. Here's the first one. You can't make water. You can't. You can't make water, but you can dig a ditch. Now, un- understand that the God of the universe really didn't need that army to dig a ditch. God could have done it by himself. God did a pretty good job of digging ditches around the world. We call them lakes, rivers, streams, and oceans. God didn't need their help to dig a ditch. But but it was almost as if God were saying, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. What are some examples of this in the New Testament? Peter's one, he was in the boat, and uh, and said, Jesus, if that's you... Tell me to come and I'll come. And Jesus said, Come. What did Peter do? He got out of the boat. Now, there were 11 other disciples in the boat, but Peter was the only one that had the faith to get out of the boat. And as a result, he's the only one out of the 12 that could put on his resume, I walked on water. Another example in the New Testament was a man with a withered hand. What did Jesus say to him? Stretch out your hand. Now, Jesus didn't need the man to stretch out his hand. Jesus could have said, Be healed. But instead, he said, Stretch out your hand. I want to see your faith. And then he healed him. Another time, there was a man who hadn't been able to walk for years, and and Jesus looked at him and said, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. I will heal you. But you got to get up, and you got to pick up your mat. You can't make water, but you can dig a ditch. There was another man who was blind from birth, and Jesus went up to him and picked up some dirt and spit in it, rubbed it, and made some mud and put this on the man's eyes, which most of us would say, Jesus, that's not safe. I mean, you could spread the COVID virus. Besides that, Jesus, this is nasty. But Jesus did that, then said, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. In other words, you show me your faith, I'll show you my faithfulness. I sometimes wonder if if we're a bit spiritually lazy and we pray and pray for stuff to happen, but we don't want to do our part. We don't want to show God any initiative or faith. For example, if you want to quit doing drugs, wherever you are, do your part. Quit buying them. And if you have any, flush them down the toilet. Or maybe you're not supposed to do that anymore, but get rid of them that is your part of faith and then God will show you his faithfulness to help you quit you say you want to quit smoking what do you need to do then question for you what do you need to do to show your faith you you say you want God to heal a relationship that's gone bad well your part is to treat them with love even if they're ugly to you and maybe even initiate some conversation for restoration what are you doing you're digging a ditch You want your kids to serve Christ? I know there are no guarantees, but bring them to church. And as soon as our kids department is open again, get them involved in kids activities and youth group, not not to mention it's okay to put them in sports programs because those help them learn teamwork and humility and skills, but make it a priority to send them to kids and youth camps. And here's the biggie. Be faithful to spend time sharing scripture with them, praying with them around the home. You can't make water. You can dig a ditch. You say you want to tithe, but you feel you can't afford to. Then maybe a first step would be to tithe your time. We talked about needing some mowers. Maybe you could tithe your time. You don't have the money, but you can begin by tithing your time. You can't make water. But you can dig a ditch. The, The second principle is this. Don't worry how small it is. Just worry about obeying. I mean, think about this. How how do you dig a ditch? If you're in the 9th century B.C., how do you dig a ditch? One shovel full of dirt at a time. No excavators, no skid steers, no tractors. One shovel full. And it would have been very primitive. But one shovel full at a time. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So don't worry about how small it is. Just worry about obeying. You know, some people want to, want to make a big impact. You know, if you want to make a big impact, be willing to do the small things, the, the behind-the-scenes things. I really believe that some of the greatest rewards in heaven will be doled out to those who are faithful behind the scenes. People, such as volunteer cleaners, mowers... People like the ones that go to people who are shut in and encourage them. People who send cards of encouragement. People who do things unnoticed. They're they're not worried how small it is. They're not worried that no one thanks them for doing that. They're just trying to do their part. Well, what happened in our lesson? The, the, The troops dug the ditches. They did, they did the small things. And then in Second Kings chapter 3, verse 20, the next morning about the time for the offering, for offering the sacrifice, there it was. Water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. No rain, but God brought the water. This is not a health, wealth, prosperity message, but if you show some faith, God will show you his faithfulness. So in a day in which you hear the motivational pep talks, you know, go change the world, reach for the stars, be a mover and a shaker, do something big. Could I maybe just go against that and just urge you to begin with the small things? Just obey. Just do your part. One shovel full at a time. Don't worry about changing the world. Why don't you worry about changing one life at a time? You know, we have a slogan for our life groups. It's think small. Don't feel that in order to be significant that you have to do big, noticeable things for God. Just start with the small things. Do your part. Just obey. So do you want to know how I've been praying for you this past week? My prayer for you this past week, literally, God, would you give us a church full of ditch diggers? I prayed that prayer. People who will not worry about being up front or noticed, but people who will be willing to do their tiny part for God, but will have such a crazy faith that God will work through them and do incredible things for his honor and glory. So this week... Why don't you dig some ditches? Show your faith, and I believe God will show his faithfulness. God, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you for this lesson. And I know, Lord, we don't like the little things. We we like to be noticed. Uh, You know, if we pick up a piece of trash, we want somebody to see us doing that. Lord, if we do a ministry, we want it to be an upfront ministry. Lord, we want to do something big to where they'll talk about us. Man, did you see, Joe, how awesome he was. And God, I believe the true mark of a follower of Jesus is that we don't care if we get noticed or not. We just obey. So, Lord, don't let us despise the small things. Lord, don't let us despise the small beginnings. Just digging a little ditch here, digging a little ditch there, helping someone here, helping someone there. Lord, uh, this week I pray that we would be able to show our faith and we know that you will show your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. God, as we go um, make a difference in one life this week, I pray that you would just give us love, compassion, anointing, and Lord, you'll do the rest. Thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You're dismissed. Preacher was long-winded today. So if you could just kind of move on out of here as quickly as possible so we can sanitize for the next service in 20 minutes. You're dismissed.